Hey everybody, Jimmy Smith. On today's Unlocking the Cage podcast, we discuss the role of MMA media asking controversial questions of fighters. When is it appropriate? I also sit down with Bilal Muhammad after his upset win over Vicente Luque. He discusses his future and his past. Monir Laziz beat Anglusa last Saturday in the UFC. And post-fight, he had a kind of a surprising shout-out to give. Here is Monir Laziz in his own words with Daniel Cormier. Well, congratulations. I can tell you it was a very fun fight. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up. I would love to thank my coaches and uh, my brother, uh, Daniel Kinahan. Without him, uh, I would never be the man who I am today and do uh, my uh, career to this point. Thanks a lot. Usually, I don't give this microphone back, <laughs> but you grabbed it. Uh, so, didn't sound like a big deal. Hey, Daniel Kinahan, you're my guy. Wouldn't be here without you. Appreciate you. <laughs> the problem is, Daniel Kinahan is a wanted criminal. Uh this is from an ESPN article. This week, the U.S. Department of Treasury sanctioned Kinahan, an Irish national believed to reside in Dubai, and named him as the leader of the Kinahan Organized Crime Group. Of course, his last name, so I imagine he's the leader. The U.S. Drug Enforcement Agency also offered a $5 million reward for information that leads to the arrest and conviction of Kinahan or leads to the disruption of his group's activities. Those activities are believed to include a cocaine smuggling empire that is worth around $1 billion U.S. And his group is believed to be responsible for killings across Spain and Ireland as part of the ongoing Hutch Kinahan gangland feud. Here's kind of the interesting part. Not just this thing, this shout out to this one guy. It's also about kind of the role of MMA media and what they are supposed to do, what fans want them to do, because he was asked in the post-fight press conference about this particular shout-out, and this is how it went. Hi, Munir. Hey, man. I think the most important question is in your post-fight victory speech, you said if it wasn't for Daniel Kinahan, you wouldn't be here. Can you explain what you meant by that? Uh... I mean, uh, uh, that man is a friend and advisor, you know. He's, uh, he's the one when I was, he picked me up when uh, every time um, the life would kick me down. He's a real man of his word and, uh, you know, uh, he's the one who teach me what does it mean, a real family, a real friend. And, uh, you know, uh, it's... Um, it's someone I cannot uh, thank him enough for uh, where I am today and who I am. Uh, who I am today. He teach me the real manner. He teach me, uh, you know, how how to to be like responsible in my family, in my friend, you know, in my close one. That's why I said uh, that all the shout out and credit to him. Are you aware that Daniel Kinahan this week was sanctioned by the U.S. government because he quote sources large quantities of cocaine from South America? No, I don't know that. Okay, he was sanctioned on Monday by the U.S. government, and on I, Tuesday there's a $5 million bounty on his head for information that might lead to his arrest. I think I'm here to, the, to entertain people, you know, and uh, I say uh, uh, I give the credit to whoever, uh, I mean, uh, deserve credit. Uh, I'm not involved in this uh, kind of stuff. I mean, like, uh, uh, I, I don't know about it, and I will investigate how, how, how it is and how it's going. 
that by name-dropping Daniel Kinahan, you're kind of legitimizing this figure in combat sports? No, it's not, it's, it's not, it's not, for me, it's simple thing, you know, it's, it's friend outside the gym, you know, and just I meet him for advice and this, and he helped me through my career, so. At a press conference in Dublin on Tuesday, police there said, for a message anyone in combat sports who continues to work with him, that they're, and I quote, involved in a criminal I, 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 I don't, I don't, um, you know what I mean, I don't uh, follow really the, this kind of news, I focus in the sport, I focus in my family, I focus uh, and entertain people, and that's the most important, you know. Okay, there's people online who think that you've undone your win by shouting out Daniel Kinahan. <sighs> well, why shout out Daniel Kinahan if he doesn't want to talk about Daniel Kinahan? There's people Any online. Any other question, please? I've got no questions about this fight. I'm just interested in why you're shouting out Daniel Kinahan. Uh, if, we can, if you can get me a question for my fight, please. But no questions then. Okay. Um I this is one of those I I, I I certainly see both sides of it in terms of he answered like three questions about the guy. Three or four. Um and I I have no problem, obviously, with you know, you called out a, a known wanted criminal. Why? His first answer is, I didn't know he was a wanted criminal, uh, which I find a little difficult to believe. This guy didn't, you know, rob a jewelry store. He's, he's the head of a gigantic criminal organ. Apparently, allegedly, hasn't been convicted yet that I'm aware of. Um, this idea that he didn't know. Okay. I find that hard to believe, but maybe. We don't know the context in which he knows it. Maybe he owns the gym that he works at. Maybe he owns the gym that he trains in. Or, like, I know him as a gym owner. He owns a lot of businesses. I don't know where the money comes from. That's not my business. That's not my responsibility. So maybe he really didn't know. Um, that's a possibility. Um, but I believe, and usually what, what I don't like is, like the Conor McGregor, when he was asked about the sexual assault allegations, the reporter who asked that, and I forget who it was, was sh like shouted down immediately, just booed out of the room practically, and Conor never even, like a man, answered the question. Hey, it's okay. I can't comment. This is an ongoing legal investigation. Whoop! And then if the person keeps asking, you can say, I just answered the question. I don't know what to tell you. So in this case... First, he says, I, you know, I don't know. I, I really don't know that this guy you know, has the issues he has. Then the reporter goes on to explain this guy has a bounty on his head. He's the head of a gigantic criminal organization. Why did you shout this person out? His response was, as you just heard, well, I, you know, I, I'm here to entertain people with my fight. And then when I threw a shout out to him, it was because of our personal relationship. I'm not endorsing whatever he's doing or wanted for. I just know the guy as a friend and gave him a shout out. The reporter kept filling in information, which I think he was perfectly allowed, you know, reasonably asked to do. But I also feel in this case, having answered three questions about it, um, Laziz had the right to go. I, you know, I don't talk about it anymore. He he didn't refuse to answer the first question. I thought he answered the first couple questions very very well. Does he have the right to move past it at that point? It's an interesting question. But he didn't just shut the guy down. He didn't just boo the guy off the stage or whatever. I didn't just completely shut him down. 
So we saw that the reporter was allowed to pursue this line of questioning three or four times. And I did like the response. I didn't hear what somebody else said. Apparently somebody else told him to stop talking, whatever. And he said, he shouted the guy out. I didn't bring this guy up for no effing reason. He brought him up so I can ask as many questions I want about him. He brought him up. I didn't bring him up. So I definitely see how both sides in this case were pretty valid, right? Laziz just said, is this guy? No, I, I don't know what he's known for, you know, and not anymore in my younger days. I knew a couple of drug dealers, not up to this guy's level, right? I knew some people who were shady characters or whatever, and they were friends of mine or whatever. And the idea that, that hey, man, this is my personal friend, so I'm saying give him a shout-out. I don't know what else he's doing. I don't know if that's true. I find it hard to believe because I knew which friends of mine were drug dealers. So the idea that he did, doesn't know this guy runs a gigantic criminal organization. But in another sense, if he did, why the hell would you shout him out? Because any idiot would know that's really stupid. I know I'm kind of all over the, the map here, but I feel like both sides were pretty well represented in this. Uh, KOB, you played this off YouTube, and you were scrolling down and looking at a lot of the comments, and a lot of them are negative about a reporter even pursuing this line of questioning, which I think is bizarre. That is a totally valid line of questioning. This guy brought this up. He's not being asked about, for example, the owner of his gym. Do you know the owner of your gym? Is this, this, yeah. and that? Well, no, but... I didn't bring the guy up. He did yeah. bring this guy up. Yeah. For, for every, like, one, like, well, he brought the guy up, so the guy's just asking about, like, why yeah. would you bring the guy up? There was at least three, like, it's not their place to ask that. Like, he already answered the question. It's like, but it feels like you're bringing up a guy who's got a checkered history right now, so it's worth asking and, and getting into it. Yes. Um, and bringing up, look, the Irish government says this, the U.S. government says this, that, that, this guy's, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? You have, you have the right to fill in that information, which the reporter was doing. Yes. The, the problem is I feel like MMA fans want MMA journalists to stay in a lane of just asking about the fight. Yes. What do they think about the fight? How is the lead up to the fight? What about what's going on with this fight? How did the fight go for you? What do you think was the best strategy of the fight? And they don't want you ever diverting out of that lane. Doesn't matter what they've done outside. Doesn't matter that you have officially have press, press access to them now. They want you to just stay in that lane at all times, and they just—I I don't know. It's almost like we're being mean to the fighters. Like, do you think if an NFL football player had some kind of scandal or something going on, oh that, would be the first, that would be the first question they were asked at a press conference? I don't understand why fighting gets reverence at times. Yeah, yes, it'd be the first thing that you get. Like even the Conor McGregor sexual assault thing, that guy was within his reasons to ask. I mean, Conor had done one quick interview with Ariel. Um where he kind of quickly addressed it, but then moved on. And now he's on a dais where the press is there and can ask him questions. Do, do you think that that's over the line? Like, I don't get, everyone will say like, oh, that's not the time for it. It's like, well, yeah. then when is the time for it? Exactly. Like, when This he, is a when, press conference. When yes. you have a sit-down interview with him, it's like, but he may not take that sit-down interview. So that is your time with him. Conor McGregor does interviews with very few people in this world. Like, that's your chance to ask. And then, oh, you're just trying to be clickbait. It's a legitimate question. Again, when, when you realize, when you rewatch the whole thing, like Daniel Cormier, as you can hear from the audio, is walking away. Like, all right, great fight tonight. And he makes it a you point. You brought shout him out in and said more. Exactly. shout out Daniel Kinahan. So I think this reporter was well within his rights to ask about it and ask as many questions as he could about it. Like, all right, well, you keep telling yes. me he's a great friend of this, but you do know he did this, right? Like, well, you know, I'm just out here to entertain, but like, but you just shouted the guy out. Like, and I thought he was very good at how he phrased the questions. Like, well, you're kind of legitimizing this person in, in media. 
there's yes. people online now now saying you just undid your win by throwing this guy out. Like I think everything he was asking was legitimate, and I don't understand MMA fans' need to just not have us ever ask a fighter a tough question. We're just supposed to be out there making fluff. them look good. That's fluff it. pieces. Yeah. Yes, we want fluff bio stuff, and that's it. But also. I thought Laziz dealt with it comparatively well. He answered three or four questions. I, it kind of ran out. You know what I mean? Like I, I, Laziz didn't try to shut the guy down and say, I'm not talking about this. He didn't do And to his credit, he did that. So I'm not saying Laziz is to blame in any way for this, right? He did legitimately yeah. answer three or four questions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Important point to, yes, make. He yes. did answer, answered the follow-ups, and then had a moment of like, which I, I also think is his right, too, of like, listen, yes. I'd rather just talk about my fight now. Like, that's, right. that's totally fine. But he he played ball and he answered, what was it, two or three follow-ups? Yes. yes. And then kind of said, like, I'd rather just talk about my fight now. Like, that's perfectly fine. Exactly. So I think both sides of this issue in this press conference acquitted themselves very, very well. I give credit to both guys. I really uh, – journalists did a great job. I thought Laziz did a great job. The fan reaction to this, we shouldn't – journalists are just trying to – da da da. This anti-media bias in particularly combat sports, particularly the UFC, is pretty bizarre. Busted Open is your daily home for all things pro wrestling. Join Dave LaGreca, WWE Hall of Famers, Bully Ray and Mark Henry, and hardcore wrestling legend Tommy Dreamer. Dave LaGreca here. From WWE to AEW, Impact, New Japan, Ring of Honor, and more, we talk it all. Whether you grew up watching Ric Flair or Stone Cold Steve Austin, Busted Open is your place for pro wrestling. Busted Open, Mondays through Saturdays at 9 a.m. East on Fight Nation, Sirius XM Channel 156. Now being joined by a man victorious last Saturday against Vicente Luque in the main event UFC on ESPN 34. Luque versus Muhammad to Bilal Muhammad. How you doing, my man? Thanks for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, brother. Feeling good, man. Back in uh, back in Chicago and the stupid cold. Uh, missing Vegas right now. <laughs> I bet, man. I, I was up in Buffalo last night. It was freezing. Dude, I'm back here in Florida. It's nice and warm. Yeah, I miss it a lot. So, first question I got to ask you. November 12, 2016, you're knocked out by Vicente Luque, and it's the only time in your career you've ever been finished. You said carrying that around was a big burden. It had been on your mind until, the, the obviously, the rematch last Saturday. How was that a motivator? How did that translate into camp, into workouts, everything, that loss? Uh, honestly, man, it, it changed my life. It was one of those those fights, like the biggest stage in the world. You're, you're fighting at Madison Square Garden. And, uh, you know, that was my third fight in the UFC. And I, after that loss, I was sitting there like, I'm about to get cut. I'm one and two right now. I just got knocked out. Um, I had so many people fly into that car to watch me. And I was like, what the heck? Like, I just ended like this. Uh, and I had that feeling. I always, I, I remember that feeling that day, how I felt, how, how hurt and how broken, hurt and how broken I was. Uh, and, you know, I've let that push me through this whole camp. This whole camp, I was just thinking about that. I'm like, I'm not going to feel that again. I'm not going to have that feeling again. My mom's not going to sit there and cry again. My mom's not, he's not going to make my mom cry. Uh, you know, my brother and stuff, you know, he was in my corner that fight. And I said, after that fight, I don't want to put him in my corner again because, you know, I don't want to ever see him see me get hurt like that. And, uh, you know, it changed a lot about me, but it, it only made me uh, better. And, uh, I was like this weekend, I'm like, I'm willing to die in there. I'm not about to go out like that again. Uh, it's not going to happen. Do you feel moments like that are necessary to be successful at the elite level? 
those like moments of, of self-doubt and self-defeat. Yeah, for sure. I think that, you know, you have – there's different paths for different guys. You know, some guys could just come in and go straight to the top on a, a one-way streak. Or there are guys that go through ups and downs, and I think the, the downs make the ups that much better. You know, going back and thinking, of, like, that fight was on the prelims. Nobody really thought about that fight. Uh, now that I think about it, we go full circle. Now it's the main event. Uh, basically, the, the top contender spot fight in the welterweight division uh, it means a lot more this, t- this time coming around. Uh, speaking, of course, to Bilal Muhammad, victorious last Saturday over Vicente Luque in a very, very anticipated rematch. Uh, when did this or did this fight feel different at some point? Was there some point in this fight, in this rematch, where it clicked that this is different? This feels different. I feel more in control. Was there a moment when you realized that? Yeah, you know, I was, you know, fight week, you're sitting there overthinking things. You know, you're in the room by yourself. You're like, man, is this first punch going to knock me out? Is it is it going to happen again? Am I going to – this is all for nothing. Am I cutting weight right now in the sauna, you know, with my team and stuff, and I'm going to go out there and lose in the first round? So I was like, let's go. Let's. We have to get through this. We had to get past these fears, get past this anxiety. We got in the yeah. cage. And after I got the first couple punches, after I got my first takedown uh, in the first round, I was like, all right, this is different. We're going to make it out of the first round. Now we're in the second round. Now is where the game plan comes into effect. Now, you know, we already beat the the record of what, what our last fight was. It's a whole different fight now. Now everything changed. Uh, I called, I don't know if you, I don't know if you remember, uh, Bellator 112. When you took on A.J. Matthews, very talented striker, uh, really hard hitter, and you beat him by unanimous decision. And what I noticed at that time when I called that fight was your movement. Your lateral movement was so good. Every time AJ tried to set up and really hit you with something big, you were there with the takedown. You were there with the counter shot. It seemed like a sharper version of that against Vicente Luque. Your movement was so on point that he could never really load, even though he's a fast striker. He could never really load and hit you with anything. Was that a big part of the game plan getting ready for this fight? Uh, yeah, I remember, I remember you out there. Uh, yeah, you know, <laughs> that, was the, that was the big game plan is, you know, he's so good at standing in front of you and, and banging. A lot of guys get hurt. Because the like the, they'll hit him and they'll get excited because they hit him and then he'll just come over the top of the counter or uppercut or something like that because he's so good and he has such a good chin. So for the whole eight weeks that we were training, it's like all right, we're gonna keep moving, we're gonna keep moving, we're gonna keep moving because I'm a forward pressure fighter myself. I like to be forward pressure and I like to push guys backwards. But we know that Luke is the guy that he's not gonna move. You you want to push him backwards, you're gonna have to hurt him. And if you to to hurt him, you may get hurt. So I was like, this whole camp was just. Lateral, lateral, lateral. We look back at the Wonder Boy fight, how good Wonder Boy was at hitting and moving, hitting and moving, and we try to, like, emulate it a little bit. Uh, it seems like, and you talked about, obviously, the post-fight press conference. We just played it. Your run, uh, Damian Maya, Stephen Wonder Boy Thompson, now Vicente Luque, Leon Edwards, even Diego Lima, Lyman Good. It seems like the people nobody wants to take on, right? It seems like stylistically these people are nightmares. They're big puzzles. Nobody looks good against Damian Maya. Nobody looks good against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, Vicente Luque. What's it like, as you said, having to take the hard path through these fighters nobody wants to face? How challenging is that? Uh, I love it, though. I love the challenges. I love the the, the doubt from the, the fans and the people that think that I'm going to lose. It, it always comes back to, you know, the whole Maya fight, the whole Maya fight leading up to, oh, he's gonna he's gonna take Bilal down, he's gonna tap him out. Then after the fight, oh, Maya's old. Then the whole Wonder Boy fight, yeah. Wonder Boy's gonna spin and heel kick him and knock him out. Wonder Boy's gonna make him look stupid. This is a, the hardest puzzle ever. And I go out there and beat him like that. Oh, that was a terrible fight. That wasn't even really a fight. He just grounded, pounded him, blah blah blah. All right, well whatever. This guy knocked me out. 
This guy finishes everybody. He just finished the former champion at Woodley. He finished uh, Kiesa. Now what are you going to say about it? So I was, that was that was for me, just getting the shutting the naysayers up. There's nothing you can say after this win right here. Like the other ones, right, give your excuses. But now what are you going to say after Luke? Well, you know, he, he didn't finish him. When's the last time Luke has been finished? Luke, it's been like eight years since Luke's last finished. When's the last time Wonderboy's been finished? So you had the, the the haters, but like I said, I think I'm getting the respect of the the fighters and the people that are no MMA, no martial arts, the, the real people that I want the respect from. Uh, when you look at the future, obviously you talked about it in the post-fight press conference. Uh, Colby Covington certainly on your radar. Uh, title shot certainly on your radar. Your next step, is it about this idea of self-promotion? Because in a lot of ways, promotionally, you took a big step over Sente Luque but with Kamzat Shemaev in the division, Colby Covington, a huge talker. You feel like you might be the, the odd man out, right? The guy in, the, the, guy in the, 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 the outside track. Do you feel like you have to kind of push a little bit more to get the fight you want to move forward? Yeah, I think that, you know, it comes down to with, with two fighters. It comes down to Kamzat or... Kobe and I think that you know Hamza has all the hype right now. Hamza has all the the push and the 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 crowd that they all want to see him. He has the aura right now. So I think that and when you when you look at it, like for me, I want to fight Kobe just because I, I hate the guy. And I, like you said, I think the build up with us would be fun uh, with the trash talk. And also, I think with Hamza, Hamza's a trash talker too, and he's not afraid to shine away. So like we've gone back and forth on Twitter with me and him. I think that me and Hamza, when I look at it now, like makes the most sense because neither of us fought the champion, and I think that when you're looking at both of our styles, we both match up well with the champion. And we've seen that, you know, he got his trend tested against uh, Gilbert Burns. So let's test this cardio against me in a five-round fight, five-round main event. I think it, it makes the most sense. And I think that coming off back-to-back weeks of he fought than I fought, I think it, it, it makes the most sense right now. Uh, speaking, of course, to Bilal Muhammad, successful last Saturday against Vicente Luque, moving up in the UFC welterweight division. Right now, it looks like Dan- that, that, that Dana White wants Kamsat Shemaya versus Colby Covington. I have my doubts as to whether or not Colby Covington wants that fight. I, and I don't mean that you're scared. It's, you know, I don't know if he really wants that fight. No, no, no you can say that. You can, like, I, like, <laughs> I, I can see that. Like, Colby, Colby right. wants to take the easiest path back to the title. You know, obviously... He's calling out Poria. He's calling out Nate Diaz, guys that are yeah. 55ers that, that are easier matchup-wise for him. He's not calling out a Hamzad or a Gilbert Burns or somebody like that. So you, you could say he's scared. <laughs> sure. The, the reason I say it is it, 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 it's a very tough fight, and if he's in the driver's seat, I understand why he wouldn't want that, right? I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm the number two guy. If I just basically stay where I am – the champ will come back to me. And I, I do get why he would think that. But let's say, for argument's sake, that fight does get booked. Is there a backup you would like? If those two guys are unavailable, uh, is there anyone else you have your sights on, man? Uh, I mean, the only other one that makes sense after that is uh, Gilbert Burns. I don't want to fight downward. I want to just keep going upward. I don't think he lost any stock in his fight with yeah. uh, Hamza. I think he, he earned that number four spot. He showed how tough he is, how good he is. So... That one right there is the only other one that really makes sense. Uh, I just want to keep going upward. Like I like right now, I'd be Wonder Boy who's seven, Luke is six right now. If I have to go, I'm number five. So if I have to go four, three, two, one, I'll do it. Uh, what were your thoughts on that fight? I mean, a lot of people talking about he got exposed, and I, I disagree. I thought Gilbert Burns looked exceptional. I thought. Uh, you know, I thought Shemayev showed he can win a long fight. He showed guts. He showed he can come back. What, what were your thoughts on Shemayev's performance against Gilbert Burns? 
Yeah, it's crazy how, how people switch up on you that quick. That's why I say with the fans. Uh, they put them on such a high pedestal. Like, did you expect them just to go out there and one-punch everybody and knock everybody out? Yeah. Uh, I think that, you know, he, like you said, he showed a lot of toughness. He showed chin. He showed brains by not trying to play on the ground when he took Gilbert Burns to, down. Uh, he showed cardio. Uh, Gilbert Burns hit him with his best shots. He hit Gilbert with his best shots. And, you know, he showed nerves of steel just by like sitting on the cage before the fight when all the pressure's on you. And dude just looked like he was chilling. So, like, to me, he showed, like, he's legit. He showed me he's real. Uh, I don't think he's real enough to beat me, but he showed me that he's good enough. And now the fact that I got three rounds to see uh, uh, him, now yeah. I could actually break him down even more. Uh, what are your thoughts on him as an opponent? The first thing I thought, and and I know this was many, many years ago, but I fought in the welterweight division, and Shamayev is a gigantic welterweight. When he squared up with Burns, who who did fight at lightweight, he's not the biggest welterweight in the world, I went, holy God, they don't look like the same division at all. Uh, what would you think of the size disparity in that fight, man? Shamayev is huge. Yeah, you know, he's a pretty big boy. But, uh, you know, I've been in there with guys, like you said, like AJ Matthews is pretty big. Uh, Tim Haynes is yeah. pretty huge. Uh, so a lot of the guys that I've I fought are are actually big, uh, and you know his style, he's more of a, a wrestler and grappler. So he's gonna shoot low on you a lot of the time. So you know it, it, it it's not like uh Adesanya where he uses distance and uses his length uh to the T or anything like that. Like he's in your face the whole time. So like that shrinks you a little bit. Uh, the preparation for this fight, a lot of talk about Ramadan, the fasting, uh, fasting during the day, can't have any water. What was it like? I, I can't imagine personally training in those conditions, going through camp, going through a cut. What was that like? Please fill us in, man. Uh, man, it's, it, it's, it's hard. Like the first, after the first couple of days, I think your body actually gets used to it and, uh, it like pushes, push it through. Uh, but it's it takes a lot of mental toughness because I'm sitting there. I train at 10:30 a.m. in the morning, uh, and I didn't want to, I didn't want to mess up anybody else's schedule. So a lot of my teammates were 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 telling me that they wanted to. A lot of my teammates were were like fasting with me. They're like, "Oh, we'll fast with you." I'm like, "No, you don't have to. It's not a part of you." Really, no, no. We want to feel what you're feeling. And I was like, "All right, if you want to," uh, but. Yeah, people don't understand that, you know, without drink or water or anything like that, it's all about faith and spirituality. And I think it just made me more keyed in onto the fight because, like, I don't have anything else to stress about. I don't have anything else to worry about. Uh, I know that he's not doing what I'm doing. So I think that it made me tougher. And I'm like, I needed a little more of an edge above him because, you know, I'm always overthinking. I'm like, obviously, he has more power than me. But is he training as hard as me? Maybe. Is he is he doing a strength conditioning? Maybe. But he's not fasting. I know he's not doing that. So I know that I had that one up on him. Mm, how did that affect your cut? Because as you know, you know, your body tends to, when you don't eat or don't drink, it tends to retain. It tends to hold on to everything. How did it affect the cut uh, heading into this fight? I'm very curious about that. Man, I'm not going to lie. The, 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 my, my cuts usually are pretty easy on, uh, on weight cut day, on sauna yeah. day. Uh, but this time I had to go back to the sauna like three or four times. <sighs> and I was sitting there like, what the heck is happening right now? But like you said, it was more so like mentally. And, uh, you know, I had like five teammates there with me and my coaches and they kept going back in the sauna with me. So it was it was amazing to, to have that support system with me and behind me. 
What are your thoughts right now on this 170-pound division? A lot of people calling Kamar Usman the greatest of all time. I still call GSP number one. Right now, I'd put him second all time at 170 pounds. Uh, what are your thoughts on this division? You got an up-and-comer like Shemaev. You got the trash talker and Colby Covington. Um, I think you're the dark horse of this division. What's it like being in this mix of what is right now, in my opinion, a really exciting division? Yeah, honestly, I think we're the, we're the most exciting division in the UFC right now. Um, you know, people are saying that Kamaru needs to move up and stuff like that, but I think that there's a lot of challenges he hasn't gone through. Like, he's beaten uh, yeah. Kobe twice and Masvidal twice and Gilbert. Like, you, you haven't gone through all of us. Uh, I think that matchup stylistic-wise, Kobe gave him his hardest matchup because Kobe's grappling and wrestling. Uh, and I think that I match up better than Kobe does with uh, Kamaru, and I think that me against Kamaru would be a great fight, and I think I'll be able to break him down a lot better than a lot of these guys do. And other than that, I think, like you said, the top five, I think you can match, mix and match all of us, and they'll all be great fights and huge fights for uh, any card in the UFC. Uh, the fight you want with Colby Covington that you've discussed being next and you want a piece of him, and he's a, as uh, – uh, uh, as as R.J. Clifford, my my broadcast partner here on uh, SiriusXM, he said he's a great matchmaker for himself. Colby Covington is very good at pursuing the matches he wants. He's also good at making fighters take fights personally. Is that something you would work on or you would like? Or how would you approach the idea that he tries to get under your skin and, and, and make a fight personal? How would you deal with that, man? For me, honestly, it would be fun because I'm a trash talker myself. I, I love playing basketball. I love playing street ball all the time. So I'm always going back and forth with people on the street. Uh, and I think that I'm way wittier than Kobe. So, like, I'll actually make him look dumb. I don't take anything to heart. Uh, you know, if you, if you follow me on social media, I literally got the most haters on Twitter I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and I literally just brushes off. I just, like, laugh at most, most of the time. So nothing that he would say would really affect me in any way where I'll be like, oh, man, I'm going to get heated up. Uh, I think for the most part, the buildup will be just me making him look dumb. Uh, so what is next for you as far as your your training, your fasting? What is next on your schedule, man? What are you looking forward to? Uh, you know, the good thing about Ramadan now is uh, we still have two more weeks left. So yeah. uh, usually after your fight, like you, like you said, you used to fight. Like the, the first week after your fight, you're eating whatever you want. You're, you're putting all the trash <laughs> in your body. You're celebrating right, yeah. Yeah, so now it's giving me it's giving me that time, that, that rest right now. Like now I have to wait till 730 to do that. So now it gives me uh, more thoughts or a thought process where like, right, maybe I don't eat McDonald's right now. Maybe I, I, I'll use it better. So I'm not putting as much trash in my body because uh, <laughs> I have to hold myself more disciplined since it's Ramadan right now. But I think it's going to make me in better shape. Uh, I'm going to get next week. I have to go down to Vegas again to help uh, Jared Gordon and Gerald Merchart uh, for their fights next week. So this is going to keep me active and keep me uh, moving. So I'm not going to be on the couch all week. Hey, well, I appreciate you taking the time. Congratulations on your win last Saturday, man. Best of luck in the future, buddy. Thank you, brother. Appreciate you. Unlocking the Cage with Jimmy Smith is part of the SiriusXM Podcast Network. The executive producer is Michael Russo. The associate producer is Kelly Murphy. Sound design by Nuri Balin. Special thanks to SiriusXM's Senior Vice President of Sports Programming and Podcasting, Steve Cohen, and SiriusXM Fight Nation Program Director, Marissa Rivas. SiriusXM Podcasts.